Rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. This scene is a grand one in this scene in heaven where we come to the marriage supper, the wedding supper of the Lamb of God. We're drawing near to Revelation, this series, which is on the blessings, seven blessings in Revelation we're looking at, seven Beatitudes. If you're familiar with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes is there. We're going to have another series yet to come as we prepare for Christmas, and that will come out of the Revelation text as well. Before we close the writings of John that we've been focused on this year, Jesus' best friend. And so chapter 6 through 18 of Revelation, really about the judgment of God falling on all evildoers on the earth. And now the rest of Revelation has to do with this wonderful scene of what's coming for those who are found faithful. Verse 1, chapter 19. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous deeds of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. I want to notice three things about this great marriage wedding Scenario. First of all, note the venue. I've been, I've been in lots of beautiful, wonderful venues when I've been able to officiate. I just had one last night at the Arts Garden downtown Indianapolis, and it was a, it was a, great, a great place. I, I've never done a wedding in all these years here at that particular location, but it was grand. It was a grand staircase. The, the bride came down the staircase, and it was, I, I love conducting weddings because one of the reasons is just the beauty of the bride, her anticipation, the groom seeing the bride, the bride enter the room. And I see these places transformed. I've seen gymnasiums transformed, backyards transformed, living rooms transformed, barns transformed, for crying out loud. And you go to a rehearsal, but then you go show up for the wedding, then there are lights and there, there are flowers and the tables are set and, and any kind of venue can be used and transformed. But this particular venue in heaven is, 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 is not made deluxe by all that's brought into it. The venue here is adorned by a person, Jesus Christ. 
and the very, his very presence of what transforms this place into what it is. Heaven is wherever Jesus Christ is. And it's a mystery where heaven is located. But wherever he is will be heaven. And here, God's salvation is experienced. This place is adorned by the salvation of God. The cry is, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Right now, we enjoy our salvation. If you have been saved by Jesus Christ, if you have been born again, that you, and you are enjoying the saving process. We have been saved. When we were baptized into Christ, we were, we were rescued from sin and shame and death. We're in the process of being saved because we're not fully saved yet. We still struggle in the flesh. We're not all that we're going to be yet. We still struggle with temptation and sin, but not there. We still struggle with body aches and pains and diseases, but not there. The earth still deals with war and unrest, but not there. We worship today out of weakness and limitations. There will be, we'll be in perfect strength. Here, we're still dealing with the death enemy, but not there. God will wipe every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death. We worship today in spite of the fact that we have never seen God face to face. We've never seen Jesus Christ. But then we shall behold him, the Bible says, and we will see him as he is. God's salvation will be fully experienced on that day. Not only that, but God's supremacy will be acknowledged by us all as well. That will be part of the adornment of this place. We speak of it here. We sing of it here. We know of it here, but we will not experience it to the same degree until we're in that place. In Revelation 18, we see the judgment of God as falling on the great prostitute called Babylon. Now, Babylon is the figure for the worldly power that was at work in the first century against the Christians, which is Rome. Babylon in the Old Testament was the chief nation that came in and swallowed the Jews up, took them into captivity uh, a thousand miles away. And the nation was never quite the same after that as the Jewish nation. And so here the picture of Babylon is the Rome. It's Rome for them. These emperors are persecuting Christians severely. They are, they are torturing them. They're pulling them out of their homes. They're imprisoning them, imprisoning them because they aren't willing to say Caesar is Lord. That's what they're doing. These people are discouraged. They need some kind of encouragement. Babylon today for us as we read this, I think is any worldly power, any worldly system, any, anything that exists on the face of the earth that seeks to suffocate the movement of the gospel in the world. It's been Nazi Germany. It's been Red China. It's been, um, it's been the USSR. Um, it, it's been Islam as it cast its net over, over the Middle East. In, in our country, I believe Babylon is secular humanism and all that it does to drown out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Babylon is anything that's doing damage against the movement of God's, of God's work in the world. It enslaves, it, it, it intimidates, it wants to control you. Do not give in to the lies of the evil one. Who wants, to, who wants to overcome, who wants to do in your family and your kids and your grandkids. That's what the evil wants to do. Then the second half of Revelation 18, Babylon has fallen and the judgment waits. My wife loves to read novels. And if it's really tense, you know what she does? She goes to the last chapter. I correct her for that. She was the last chapter to find out how it ends to get through, to handle the tension of the present situation in the story. 
That's why God gave us this. That's why he first addressed this to the people of the first century, the end of the first century. They were asking, is it worth it? And some were bailing because of it. I don't know what you face in life. I don't know what you're handling right now. I don't know what in the past is haunting you. I don't know what you're yet going to go through or any of us are going to face. But listen, friends, it will be worth it. We've seen the end of the story. And so we stay faithful. We stay in worship. We stay in the word. We stay in prayer. We stay in community because the best is yet to come. The portrait of heaven's beauty is captivating. It's the perfect venue for the perfect day of the Lord that is yet to come. Second, we have the attendees. That's all of us who who have surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Earlier in Revelation, we are introduced to 24 elders that represent all of God's people. And they're these four living creatures that are always worshiping around the throne of God. And you'll go into a wedding, you have the ceremony, and then the, you go to the reception, there's all this buzzing going on. It's a happy occasion, right? In fact, if you ever go to a, a, wedding, a wedding and attend the reception and you don't know people, you're just there because you know the bride or the groom, you feel out of place because you don't know anybody. It's a time for celebration and talking. And I, I wonder, I wonder what our conversations will be like there. I don't know. But two words are going to be in our vocabulary, amen and Hallelujah. Say hallelujah with me. Hallelujah. That day is coming. Revelation 19 is the only place in the scripture where you're going to read the word hallelujah. It's only found in the New Testament in the book of Revelation. It is found in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms several times, but typically the modern translations put praise the Lord, which is what hallelujah means, rather than the word hallelujah. I wish they would just keep hallelujah and make it a unique word for us, but it does mean praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So we come here to read this word, and this, this great chorus in heaven is shouting, praise the Lord. This is what we do. The most important thing we do in life is praising the Lord. You remember that Handel wrote the oratorio, Messiah, and he, he did so without much eating or drinking or sleeping. He just holed himself up, and he wrote the whole oratorio in 21 days. And then it was performed on March 23rd, back in 1743, I think. And when it was performed, they got to the Hallelujah Chorus, and King George stood according to tradition, and everybody else followed suit because the king stood, and that's why we stand for the Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus every time. But this is what we read today. This is the true Hallelujah Chorus. When we are going to join with all the others, you ever want to be a good singer? You envy those who can sing? Well, you will be, baby. You will be. Everything is going to be perfect there. And all, you've wanted to lift your voice in a way. In fact, you're, you're glad to come to a worship service or a concert, you know, where the music is so loud you can't hear yourself. That's all for you because nobody else can hear you either, right? And we're sort of glad for that too. <laughs> you know, Handel wrote, I did think I saw all heaven before me and the great God himself when he wrote Messiah, especially the Hallelujah Chorus. What a day it's going to be. The second word in our vocabulary will be amen. Now, we're a pretty quiet church around here. I don't think I've heard any amens this morning. Maybe one. I'm not sure. Maybe real softly. You, know, you go to some church. Maybe in some church, man, there, hallelujah, amen all through. And, uh, and that's okay. You know, amen is found a lot of times in the scripture. In the old King James Version, Jesus would often say, verily, verily, I say to you, that's amen, amen, or truly, truly. So when we say amen in a prayer, we are saying I agree. 
I align with that. Or we're saying, so be it. Like, well, while all this praise is happening, all this being said around the throne of God, we're agreeing with, we're aligning with, amen, amen. You know, when you say amen out here, now we got a few more at 930 than we do at 11 typically, maybe one at eight. You know, we can name them by name because they're so rare. Uh, but we preachers like amens, you know. Um, it's like saying to a dog, you know, sick them. Don't say sick them. I'll probably throw you out. But, you know, but, but, but amen, it's, it's a word of encouragement, you know. It's a word of saying, say more about that. Or, or I, I like what you just said. That is so true what you just said. It, 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 thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Give that woman a cake. I don't know where she is. But, you know. Amen. You know, I, I read about recently about a celebration that was in Boston in 1869. Eight, think of that, 1869. And they were celebrating the end of the Civil War. And um, uh, it, it was called the National Peace Jubilee. I'd never heard of this before. But there was a choir there, 10,000 voice choir and a thousand piece orchestra. Imagine that. And there was a woman by the name of Miss Rose, and she sang a high C in whatever piece they were singing. And, and she could be heard without amplification. Uh, uh, above the 10,000 voice choir and the instruments. Wow. But that will pale in comparison to this grand worship scene when we are around the throne of God and we are at the wedding supper of the Lamb. What a day it will be. Please, please, don't, don't miss that. There are loud peals of thunder. John said it was like loud peals of thunder. You know, what does that mean? Maybe like a thousand Niagara Falls. The rushing, rushing water. You know, well, what exactly does this mean? We don't know. John's trying to describe it to us. And the third, the third, asp- the third part here we have is the wedding, the wedding itself, the, the union that's happening. The purpose of this celebration and worship is the true marriage made in heaven. Uh, and, and you and I are going to be there to be a part of that. The focus is on, 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 on who this is. And in earthly weddings and weddings here, the focus is on the bride. But there, the focus is on the bridegroom. And the Bible says we are to make ourselves ready for that day. So the bride is the church. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians eleven two, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Now, that, that word, I promise, that two-word phrase, uh, means, uh, translates better, I espoused you. I'll talk about that word in just a second. But this, this, the whole emphasis is the bride being made ready. I love it. Before I do a wedding, I, I, I go and pray with the groom by himself and his men. I go pray with the bride and her bridesmaids. And I love knocking on that door, making sure it's okay to come in. And I see that bride, you know, uh, fully adorned to meet her bridegroom. And when the Lord looks at us today, that's what he wants for us. He wants us to be beautifully adorned for the bridegroom. You know, in a in a traditional Jewish wedding, the engagement is really not between the couple. It's between the fathers of the bride and groom. And so the father of the bride will pay a dowry to the father of the bride just to give evidence that there are resources necessary to take care of your daughter. 
And I even went to I even went to school with a uh, a guy named Rajan who was from India, and uh, he came in my room and showed me the picture of the girl he was married. Never met her before. That the fathers had had um, made the relationship, and I said, "Are you good with that?" "Oh yeah, I trust my dad." Not a bad way to do it, I would say. But anyway, I falter and I go off course. I might get some words about that. Um, Mary and Joseph, you remember, were espoused to be married. Um, that means that's different. It's, 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 it's more intense and, and, and a deeper devotion than engagement, but not yet quite the marriage. There's what was called the espousement. So Mary and Joseph were espoused to be married. They were committed to one another. And you didn't walk away from that like you do in engagement in our culture. In our engagement, you can do that and cause a lot of heartache and problems, but, but you haven't broken any law legally. In, in Jewish culture, the espousal period, you were, you were already in. It was a commitment, a legal commitment to get married. Um, you just don't live together yet. There's no consummation of the marriage until the wedding occasion. So on that occasion, what would happen, of course, is the, 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 the agreement would be made, the spousal period is entered, and then the bridegroom goes back with, the bri- with, the, with, the, with his father to get the place ready. And when the place was ready, then uh, he would come, and no one would know exactly when it was going to happen. And the bride needed to be anticipating all the time when her bridegroom may come to get her. And when he, she least expected it, you know, he would show up, everything's ready now. And he'd take her home, and they begin the wedding celebration. Sometimes the groom's friends would, would um, uh, kind, of, kind of play with that and kind of tease her about when the bridegroom was going to be ready. And it was part of the, of the Jewish shenanigans that went on with the wedding. You know, when, when Jesus came, he came for the purpose of preparing us for this great day. Again, what Paul says, here's Paul's words again. He says to the church, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you one husband to one husband to Christ so that I may present you as a pure virgin to him. And that's what Matthew 25 is all about, the, the parable of the, of, the five, of the five foolish uh, bridesmaids, the virgins and the, and the, and the wise ones, that, that, that they had to keep their lamps burning, waiting, waiting. But five were foolish because they didn't have enough oil in their lamps and their light went out and they were not a part of the wedding celebration because they weren't prepared when the bridegroom came and said it was ready. Jesus taught that right before he went to the cross. Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you into myself that where I am, there you may be also. It's the picture of Jewish culture of the bridegroom going, going to get the place ready. And friends, that's what he's been doing for 2,000 years, getting the place ready for us to join him forever and ever. Our, our text speaks of these, of these wedding garments, these linens that represent, the text says, our, our works, our righteous acts that are done with the right motive to glorify Christ. Those are what we're doing now, all of the things we're doing in the body and the flesh now as we serve the Lord in his name. And part of getting ready is having the right garments, being dressed appropriately. And so those righteous acts are important. But those righteous acts aren't enough by themselves to get us at the marriage supper of the Lamb because we, you can do some outer deeds that are lovely things and good things. You can even do them for Christ. But he is the one who has to give you the inner garments. He has the, he's the only one qualified to give us a heart 
that is qualified to be in the throne room of God and sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's why Christ came, and we put on his righteousness. I am not qualified to do that for myself. You aren't either. We cannot become holy people on our own, we, and never will. We have to be clothed with his righteousness. And so we have the righteousness of Jesus that's put on us when we are baptized into Christ, and then we live our lives demonstrating that change, that transformation by the extra garments we put on the outside, showing the trueness of our inner garments by which God, Christ has closed it by his shedding the blood on the cross of Christ, dying in our place. I deserve hell. You deserve hell. I am not fit for heaven on my own. But praise God, Jesus died on the cross. He died the death that we should have died, that we can live with him forever. That's the Christ that we honor today. And then we have the banquet. It's for the celebration. And we have these beautiful words again. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. We could make it personal. How blessed I am to be invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Say that with me. How blessed I am to be invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now, I don't know if you've accepted the invitation, but it's blessed to be invited. You know, it's an honor to be invited to a wedding. But all those other invitations are nothing compared to this one. Now, this is an interesting switch here because the earlier part of the text, we're the bridegroom. And now we're the guests at the wedding. It's a mixed metaphor. So don't let it trip you up. Like, well, what are we? Are we invited guests or are we the bride? Well, we're both. Here is John. He's got a vision of heaven. He's trying to take a four-dimensional existence and communicate it two-dimensionally. And so because of that, that's a huge challenge. So he does use mixed metaphors to help us understand the grandness and the glory of this. You remember Jesus tells the parable about the great king who invites people. Now, remember, said Jewish culture, you've been invited, but you don't know exactly when the time of the day is. You just know you got to be ready to drop everything when the bridegroom comes. Okay, it's all ready. And so Jesus tells a parable about that. And he says, this great king had made everything ready. They knew the day was coming. The message was out, and people say, oh, I'm too busy. I can't. I got a new job I got to take care of. I just got married. I got to take care of my family. I've got some money, business matters to take care of. And so they come back and report to the king, well, those people you invited, you know, they're not coming, meaning the Jews. The Jews should have been the one of all people to understand this was the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament, but they missed it. The grand majority of them rejected Jesus. And so the king says, then go, go everywhere. Go to the country roads. Go everywhere you can. Find people. I want my table filled with people. And you know what happened? The gospel got to go to the non-Jews, you and me. And the Bible describes us as poor, wretched, lame, and blind. That's who we are. We're the ones who have no right of our own to be seated at the wedding supper of the Lamb. There's nothing that we can bring there and make us worthy to enjoy this place, this time, this occasion. Only what Christ did for us on the cross, dying in our place. Look, friends, I, I don't know where you are in all this, but today is a day of preparation. It's a day to get ready because the bridegroom is coming back. And I don't care how ugly your life has been. I don't care what ugly things you have done. Maybe you did something ugly last night, a few hours ago, that you're ashamed of. I don't care what kind of ugly home you came from. 
I don't care what damaged relationships you have caused. I, I don't care what, what ugly things have been done to you, causing you to live in shame and guilt. I, I don't know what shadow is over you. All I can tell you is that Jesus Christ loves you with a love that nobody else has shown you. He went so far to die in your place, died the death that you deserve, I deserve, because God looks at you and says, look, I want you with me forever. That's the invitation. It's not mine. It's not the church's invitation. It's the invitation that God gives to you. Don't miss his invitation. Be baptized into Jesus Christ. Be buried in those waters. Be resurrected into it. You don't have to have everything figured out. You don't have to have all your theology figured out. All you have to be convinced of is Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm a sinner. He came to save me from my sin. He rose from the dead on the third day, and now he ascends in heaven, and he's coming back to take us home. If you believe that much, that's the beginning point. That might be faith of a mustard seed, but God will use that seed, and he will grow himself in your heart. The invitation is announced. Come. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you today. And from our hearts, we cry, hallelujah, amen, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. And I pray none who have heard the announcement today will miss the great day of the Lord. I pray we find great comfort today. Father, we got pains to deal with. We have hurts and surgeries and diseases, families in turmoil, depression, mental illness of all kinds. All kinds of tragedies, brokenness, wars, tensions, economies that we can, can wring our hands about, all kinds of uncertainties. But with this one thing we know, the Lord Jesus gets the final word. And we are so thankful to belong to him today. May he be praised forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.